welcome to Reptory Screenings, Episode 5. I'm your host, Em, and with me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hi. And we are here to talk about Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood. That's how you have to say it. <laughs> it's metal. It's the most metal. It's pretty uh, metal. It's pretty metal. It's more metal than the Japanese name of this film. Uh, yes. Is it? I don't know. Spiderweb Castle is pretty cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's less metal. It's less metal. It's a shoegaze mm. album. Mm. <laughs> I hate all of this. <laughs> um, I don't know what your problem is. This is yeah, all I good content. Yeah. Does anybody have a movie to talk about? Anything? Anybody yeah, watch a blood. movie that wasn't anime? No. <laughs> I don't have anything either, so... Okay, yeah, nothing. Well, that's Absolutely good, nothing. yeah. <laughs> good content. I didn't realize uh, we were supposed to come with movies. We, no, no, no. We didn't do it last asking. time. Oh, okay. Uh, so I guess we'll just get into it. Uh, this, I always say month, but then week's not correct. I'm just going to say week and everyone's going to deal. This week's episode is Throne of Blood. <laughs> uh, this is uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa. This is based on Macbeth by Shakespeare, uh, starring Toshiro Mifune. This came out in 1957. Uh, this is Destiny's first Kurosawa, correct? Correct. Jackson, not yours, right? No, no, I've seen, I think my fourth. Okay. I don't, I don't, I'm like at like six or seven, something like that. Uh, as an adaptation of Macbeth, you know, it's about some guy, uh, who's named, uh, Washizu in this one, who gets a, uh, prophecy from some witches uh, this in this one a uh, old woman who lives in the forest that one day he will become the lord of the castle uh and decides to make that ambition real and murders the lord of the castle becomes lord of the castle only to be brought low by his ambition told to us through like a greek chorus of people chanting in a framing device of the ruins of the castle uh in this movie that's basically the thing everyone knows macbeth and if you don't well i don't know what to tell you yeah, it's a pretty straightforward Macbeth, I felt like. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's seen a couple of versions of Macbeth, uh, this is probably my favorite one. Um, I would not surprise me. Uh, there's one other I really like. Let's see if I can find it while we talk about this. Uh, yeah. uh, Jackson, do you want to talk about the movie? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, unsurprisingly, I don't have like that many detailed, deep read, hard takes, because I think it's um, a fairly very good version of uh, Macbeth. Um, but I like Kurosawa movies a lot, and this was a very was another good one of those. Turns out, uh, the one of the most famous uh, filmmakers who's famous for making really incredible looking movies did it again. He did it again, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was it was great. It was very watchable. Um, I loved uh, Mifune's performance because I, I was talking to you yesterday on Skype, and I'm glad I've seen enough Mifune movies to know how cool he can be, to know how much he's deliberately playing just the biggest dork in this one, which is the perfect <laughs> understanding of Macbeth, as he just kind of waddles into making the wrong choice at every stage where he could just do nothing and be fine. <laughs> uh, it's, it's good. It absolutely pulls on everything that I like about um, Macbeth, which isn't like a, one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, but um, I, th I think about it a lot because it was the first one I uh, saw and like my dad was doing it as a kid, so I got kind of a uh, fraught relationship with it, but I, I'm, it is like one I'm familiar with and know a lot, and this was definitely um, one of my favorite versions of it that I've seen. Okay. 
Uh, the other version of Macbeth that I really liked uh, looking it up, because I saw this back in high school, uh, we were showing the Roman Polanski 1971 version, which I didn't realize was directed by Roman Polanski. So a little hesitant to recommend it, but it is a very good movie. Uh, it's extremely <laughs> violent, should not be shown in schools. But yeah. it It's incredible that the movies they'll just show you in school if they're Shakespeare. Well, my teacher was like, okay, I'm going to show you this, but understand it's got nudity and violence in it. And if you tell any of your parents and com- I get complaints, then I can't show this anymore. So that we're doing a cool thing. Um, <laughs> the, this movie has a cool, interesting trivia because this is the thing he made right after uh, Sharon Tate's death. And so the part where it's about uh, someone getting stabbed to death, uh, you know, working through some stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, okay. going on there, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Throne of Blood. Uh, yeah, no, this is one that I caught relatively early in watching Kurosawa. And uh, the reason I chose it, honestly, is because it's one of the shorter ones that is like one of the classic Kurosawas. I, I really want to watch Ran, but Ran was three hours, and who has that kind of time? Not uh, me. <laughs> someday we will. Absolutely. I but, think we should uh, make the time. We'll make the time. Don't you we'll worry. Make the time. Um, but also I like the kind of like very, like the stagey framing of this movie, which yes. uh, of all the other, uh, Kurosawa movies I've seen do not have this like classical, like play framing. Um, yeah, it's no, s- no theater. Yeah. No theater. Yeah. So much of it is, uh, characters acting directly to camera framed in like, you know, on a stage, uh, very aware of like these environments as like a proscenium. Um, and that stuff's very, uh, it, it's weird in that it's, it makes it feel very understated and kind of like narrow and small. Like there's, there's a grandeur to the outside stuff that makes the inside stuff feel very like chintzy is not the right word, but very like modest. And I like the ways in which this movie facilitates between very big and very small. Um, absolutely. I think it does a really good job of conveying, uh, the sense that you get in a lot of, um, I mean, I was going to say Shakespeare, but like plays in general, right? When this is a thing set against the backdrop of war, but because it's a play about people talking, it's all about like the back rooms of that. Uh, and it begins with this um, really cool uh, situation of like a, a battle progressing, but from the perspective of everyone like sitting outside getting reports of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the senses of like there is scale to this, and eventually the like, scale becomes part of the movie, like at the end for the big final battle. Um, but mostly it's people like walking, a lot of pacing back and forth in in rooms, going ah, should I do another murder? And he does every time. A lot of fog. A lot of fog. A lot of fog. A lot of fog. <laughs> Whole bunch of fog. Just all of it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Destiny, I feel like you have not talked too much about. It. How did you find this as your first Kurosawa? I enjoyed it. I love that he just decided to go to Mount Fuji, build a castle, and uh, sh- like shoot the movie just in the middle of all of this foggy mountainside. Uh, apparently, they almost uh, like died shooting it. But yeah, no, it was it was really cool because it, well, like you said before, it combines these sort of very old Japanese theater techniques with Shakespeare and it still comes across as like super duper unique. And like one of the things that 
it doesn't really have to bother with because of the setting being different is like there's no direct translation of actual lines from Macbeth, but it still feels like Macbeth. You know, kind of the beats of it. I don't know. It's it, it was really um, beautiful and straightforward. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to see more of his stuff because I know he works with uh, this actor at least 15 more times. And Yeah, there's loads with Mifune. Yeah, I'm really like hyped to see it. I really liked um what's her name? Izu Isuzu Yamada as the Lady Macbeth type character. She was very theatrical. Just lots of exaggerated movements and um old fashioned makeup and yeah, she was very, very cool. I think she was my favorite part of the whole film. Um, the stuff I like about her is, is, is like for the first twenty minutes that she's on screen, she basically doesn't move. Yeah, um, she just <laughs> sits still, staring straight ahead, uh, basically serving as like another voice um, of the evil spirit, right? Just like telling the telling um, uh, this guy the worst things to hear, just to stoke all this paranoia. And not until he actually like. Um, does the uh finally goes and does the stabbing that she like gets into action and they get a lot of they get a lot of uh, uh mileage out of her being really distant and feeling like she's like barely there or possessed in some way <laughs> yeah that's a really good way to put it she's my favorite mm-hmm. she's very good uh but yeah the, the theatrical performances are interesting because um while I really like them, it's nothing like it's very different to all the other Kurosawa movies I've seen. Uh, I've you know I've only seen a couple, um, but they're all I, I uh, naturalistic is the wrong word, but they they have a sense of like real people hanging out in a way that is um like that's all Seven Samurai is on some level, and I love it. Uh, is it because and... of the settings you think, like just the way they look? No, so I mean, because like a lot of these are other samurai films. I really just think it's because this is meant to be yes. such like a double stage interpretation, right? Mm, yes. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, it was just a very mm. surprise. Like, it's not what I expected from like how Kurosawa scenes go from what I've seen so far. And mm-hmm. it was a very like um, well executed version of the style. Yeah, I, I the thing I like about that is the ways in which the like formality of the both of it being Shakespeare and it being so stagey in like a no drama sense is the way in which it undercuts the absurdity of a lot of these characters. Like, yes, uh, Macbeth can be played as like a grand tragedy, but uh, Washizu is just a cartoon. He's just like the most petulant, <laughs> shouty, uh, running around, uh, unsure of what he's doing, man, possible. Yeah, not Up sure. Up until the minute that he's it. running from the thousands of arrows raining down on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Who among us, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, watched an interview. Oh wait, were you gonna say something, Jackson? Oh, uh, you, you, you go. I watched an interview with uh, a crew member who was on set for that day, and I guess the actor had had a bunch of dreams about it before they actually were going to shoot the scene. He just kept dreaming about arrows flying towards him, and there were only, like, 21 arrows, and the way that, like, he would direct them where to go is he would move his arms 
in a specific direction before they would shoot there. And that's how they avoided hitting him. <laughs> and they used really thick, like, phonograph needles on the ends of the arrows. Which seems more dangerous, but okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, if it hits you, it would just hurt a lot. It wouldn't kill you. This is true. I mean, he gets hit. I assume that the ones that hit him aren't special arrows. They, he just got hit with them. Uh, no, I, they're all special. That's what, At least that's what the crew member said in the interview. Oh, the, the ones that hit him? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he had he boards on up. underneath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the best part of that anecdote um, is the part where he's like, this is only going to take a day, right? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And then it ends up at that actually being true. Uh, and he just turns to them and goes like, we're not doing this tomorrow, are we? And they go, no, we're actually, we, we got the footage. And he's like, right, we're drinking tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they just have a rowdy night of drinking, says the guy. <laughs> uh, which is an incredible, incredible anecdote, that. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, don't get uh, shot by arrows. It sounds really bad. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty horrible. Uh, he was not having a good time. No. Uh, this arrow scene uh, was a big influence on the ending of Carrie, the uh, 70s adaptation with all the I, knives. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, sure, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> forgot about all those knives. All them knives. Except she's moving him with her mind. Well. <laughs> no one's psychic in uh, Throne of Blood. Except for maybe the woman of the forest. Yeah. My other favorite scene, like, or favorite thing about that arrow scene is that you don't actually, they don't ever show the crowd. It's no, on it, him the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's an excellent scene. Like, it's the big famous scene from this movie for a reason, right? Like, Yeah, his reactions are so funny, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, like Dan was saying, uh, he is a cartoon this entire film. Yeah. Uh, just incredible the way um, he's like, oh, <laughs> me, uh, Lord of the Castle, imagine, I don't care. I don't care. I definitely don't care. I wouldn't. I, I would never do a murder I so story. don't care. I care. I, I care a I little. don't care. <laughs> and I would never do anything to betray the trust of my friends. Uh, because that would be stupid. That would be a waste of time. And I'm, so I'm just going to do nothing. It's going to be fine. And then five <laughs> minutes later, he has stabbed someone else. <laughs> Every re- repeat until eventually uh, millions of arrows like rain down on him. <laughs> I do think the setting and it being so theatrical help, like, massage in the prophecy of the woman in the forest as opposed mm-hmm. to the original, where, like, so much of Macbeth hinges on, you really shouldn't take your horoscopes this seriously um, and let it dictate <laughs> your life. And in Macbeth, you get the sense it's like, oh, these witches showed up and, like, really messed up their day. And really, like, who's running around Denmark caring this much about uh, um, Scotland? Sorry, Scotland, Hamlet's Denmark. Who's oh, running yes. around Scotland caring as much about what witches say uh, anyway? <laughs> and in this, I feel like because of its staginess and because of the way in which the witches are transposed into like a forest spirit ghost, um, it makes more sense why they would look at this as like, oh, this is like an exemplary uh, thing that happened in our lives and we're going to talk about it. But then also, um, Miki's son shows up like 
three quarters of the way into the movie and goes, why are you listening to a woman in the forest? That's outrageous. <laughs> uh, he does do that. And he's, he's like, shut up. You'll be Lord of the castle. If you don't question it. And he's like, well, I guess I'm not going to question it. <laughs> and then get stabbed off screen. Yep. There's a lot of that. A lot of off screen death. Yeah. Um, I, it's about the, um, the way the, uh, that's like the evil spirit ties in i think is really good because like it also ties that into the stuff with the trees at the end and giving the castle like a very specific sense of place with the forest i think like ties all of the movie and the story together in a way that uh i don't think the original was as tight right because those yeah. witches, you're right those witches just show up and they're like yo yeah. check <laughs> this out Macbeth." Well, so much of the original is, like, the witches exist giving the advice kind of separate to the machinations of the world. But in here, Forest Castle is at the, like, up the slope from a labyrinthine forest in which this woman lives. And the, like, the prophecy about the very woods moving to the castle, like, in uh, Dunstanane Wood in Macbeth, they just cut down the trees and bring them with them. Like, the ways in which the movie goes out of its way to strategize, you need to have the tree break to make sure that you're not getting pelted with arrows from the archers on top Forest Castle, I think, makes that whole thing make more sense. It's like, this is logically the thing they would do, instead of just, like, plot convenience. Uh, this is the difference between making a movie and writing a play. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very well well crafted, um, mm. just in a plot sense. Yeah, um, which is um, surprising is the wrong word, but it's like it's, it's shorter than Macbeth. It holds everything together. It has every beat that matters, and also tightens up some of the like uh, looser stuff. Uh, it's just an incredibly well done adaptation. Yeah, get bent, Return of the King. That's right. <laughs> I, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know why we'd bring up Return of the King and the Throne of Blood episode. They're very different movies. Because <laughs> Tolkien put so much Macbeth shit in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he did. He did. Like, the whole thing with Eowyn and the whole thing with the Ents are literally just him doing Macbeth again. I guess the trees just actually get up. Yes. He he famously was very disappointed that the trees were not actually moving at the end of Macbeth. Holy shit! <laughs> Tolkien's the coolest person! That is amazing, yeah. What a fucking dork. What a dork. I love well, it. The idea that someone would, like, get into Macbeth and they'd be like, you know what would make this better? What if the trees actually got up? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the best reveals in this movie is the trees being strapped to everyone and then them, like, being like, don't let them see you. Well, the, the ways in which, like, the trees in the fog just, like, literally look like a special effect of you have actual pine trees, like, crawling their way up the side of a hill is really evocative and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't actually know how, like, so, all, some of those shots were done, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. there's a few really impressive shots with the fog that I'm like, is this just fog that they got? Yes. Um. <laughs> There's also that extremely good shot of uh, Washizu and Miki being lost, where they just ride their horses in various directions over oh. the same shot. Yes. Yes. The, their introduction being like, <laughs> we know the way around our own forest. We know the way around our own forest. You know, <laughs> my favorite thing about us is how we know the way around our own forest. I agree. <laughs> and, uh, they just ride in circles and then ruin their own lives. <laughs> And by the time like- we get to the castle, it's time to sit down and have a think about maybe we do want to kill the lord and take over the castle. 
I also want to give a shout out to those horses. They were so tired. Those so, so tired horses. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of good uh, horse stuff in this. Like, there's multiple shots in uh, the, like, castle, the North Castle, where, like, people are talking and in the background is just a horse being, like, rode in circles in the courtyard. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, th that, that guy's horse goes loose and then runs away and then comes back. You know, there's that horse that just tackles that guy. That's not a special effect. They just had that horse tackle that guy. Uh, it sucks <laughs> to be that guy. Um, I don't mean to surprise anyone, but it, it's uh, it's shot really well. <laughs> um, it's shot very well. That's what happens like, when you film half the movie on a mountain. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I I don't know um, if this is like a trademark thing, but it, it might be given the, like a couple of other Kurosawa shots that I remember. Uh, but um, so I don't know if I'm about to give the most one one take on the planets. Uh, but I feel like every time there's a moment of someone has to like run, the the shots are incredible. There's a shot of um, him like running to camera, like uh, flanked by guys. He's going to I think it's the one where he's going to meet uh, the Lord. I think it's an early shot. Mm -hmm. It's a low angle shot, and it's just it's just like showing off. It's not like an important shot of the movie uh, or anything. Uh, but it's it's very good. Like the the way like most of the the this movie is shot fairly statically in the like it's panning, um. But there's a lot of like you know stagey stuff. They're in their rooms and giving their monologues. Uh, but so the few times there is like sudden very constructed motion is very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like I said, I don't know if that's just a Kurosawa thing because there's bits like that in Seven Samurai that could just be me not being a bad film student who is just eh, regurgitating weak one stuff. Okay, it's like true. That's what this I mean, podcast there, is for. There is like a very real sense of these like characters' physicality as they like run and yell and like throw themselves through the scenes, right? Yes. Yeah, one of the things that is his trademark is he would ask each actor to pick like a character gesture that they would continually do throughout the film to kind of get a feel for like who the character is and then identify like so as a viewer you can identify them by their movement right away. Mm -hmm. so yeah no i mean it's it's totally a thing uh the other thing i like is when they first get lost in the forest uh, there's like this these long shots of the horses riding up the hills that are just slightly under cranked so they just look slightly off when they're like riding galloping up this hill at slightly too fast a speed yep remember cranking shots yeah imagine <laughs> if you could just change the frame rate and make the shot look interesting and not cg slow motion yep. camera pans over an environment that's all green screen <laughs> what about black and white movies i do they're so good they're so, they're much so better. good weather looks so good in black and white movies the like detail of the costuming as like patterns and textures that come across in black and white that would get eaten up by color is very mm -hmm. real. Yes. Mm -hmm. Especially Absolutely. since everyone's in just the most ornate armor and like pattern fabrics in this movie. Yeah. Oh, cause his, his helmet is uh, amazing. Yes. Cause he's got the full, the full get up. Yep. <coughs> mm. Please don't die Jackson. I'll do my best. I'm, I'm dying <laughs> today this weekend. Sorry about that. Uh, I really like the scene. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the one um, with the uh, the the feast. I guess it is. 
uh, right after they kill Miki off screen. You don't know they've killed Miki at the start of it. Uh, and the slow progression of like, he's like, where, where's Miki gone? And has he, has he fig? And the audience is meant to think, oh, has he figured out? Has he started to distrust, you know, you know, which way around has this gone? And then you see Miki's like ghost, uh, and, um, he just flips out. He flips out and basically starts yelling to everyone there uh, about how much murder he's done. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the Lady Macbeth character is just like, <laughs> uh, never mind, it's just a drink, it's just a drink, people. It's fine, it's fine. No, he's definitely not <laughs> yelling about all the real murder he's done. <laughs> no, he's drunk. He's just drunk. <laughs> and the scene kind of climaxes in uh, the moment where, like, it's clear that he, like, the the ghost is just um the guy in in a lot of makeup in the first shots but then eventually there's like a big panning shot and uh he runs in and stabs Miki but obviously it's now from other people's perspective he's just like fighting the air and he just yes. looks ludicrously unhinged <laughs> yes and it's not like uh oh look at the depth of this breakdown he is just pathetic in this scene yeah he really mm. is this is why you don't uh, listen to the evil spirit and give in to paranoia. Don't do it. <laughs> if I if I were Macbeth, I would simply. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, the thing I like about the shots of him as the Lord is how like remote and isolating it ends up being. There's a shot mm -hmm. towards the end where it's just like the corner of his room and he's just sitting there with like his helmet on a dresser and a sword against the wall. And that's it. Like he's gained yeah. nothing other than like this remoteness and unhappiness and loneliness that I think is very good. Yeah. Like the, 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 the play, the film um, <laughs> doesn't really, talk about the ideas of um like power outside of uh the ambition of it right but it definitely is clear in the way it's framed that this is just nothing this is a nothing thing to any of these people uh and they should have they could have just lived their lives and basically their life would be the same <laughs> uh, this is just moving chairs because like um he basically goes in a series of different rooms uh and even the like chorus goes through. They're like, "Oh, what's the thing they said?" It was like, "Ah, oh, life can always be improved." While they're like clearly like not even in the same planet, right? Um, right. There's like a low level commentary throughout the movie on this just being th the petty disasters uh, of people with power stabbing each other uh, and how stupid it all is. Well, yeah, so much of the ambition is, like, none of this was here before someone was like, well, you're fated to be the Lord. And then, oh, maybe I am. Maybe I should care about this thing. Um, because it's not like, like, him and Miki had quelled the rebellion and had been given new titles and had all been promoted. And, like, things were looking up already. They, like, the overreach is all generated out of the prophecy and did not exist before it. Which is, yep. uh, just don't, just don't buy into this shit. You're already getting promoted. Be happy. <laughs> ah, and that's basically what the like chorus says right at the start of the movie is like man things are good right now everyone's chill hanging out mm -hmm. sunny <laughs> uh sure hope no one stabs the lord 
uh, with a spear this time and not a dagger, which honestly is bolder than uh, just knifing them. <laughs> yeah, in I the agree. Play. <laughs> is this a three feet fist? Uh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Fill that one in yourself. <laughs> uh, the thing I like is when he's waiting for her to drug all the uh, the soldiers. He's in the room where they killed the or the guy yes. who the rebelled committed suicide. So it's just this like awful empty room that has like a huge blood stain on the wall, which they've covered by putting an entire row of arrows in front of it. So he's just sitting in front of this huge rack of arrows. Uh, it's good. The uh, like thematic call, like echo of his fate and all of that is very smart and good. I like it a lot. Cause that scene of him just waiting for his wife to be like, now it's time to go stab a man. <laughs> Cause he's really struggling to get hyped up. <laughs> No, he doesn't want to do it. Like that's uh, that, that's Macbeth. Macbeth never wants to stab <laughs> the king. Yeah, no, you got to talk him into it. Have, uh, he's never going to not do it. He's always going to complain, and he's always going to stab the next guy. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I do like the big change with the ending, right? And not, it's not about because um, there is like technically a Macduff equivalent, but not really. Uh, yeah, his like comeuppance is much more. It's just his own troops turn on him. It's a much, it's a much better ending. Yeah, than, uh, it's it's a little, it's more interesting in like the grand tragedy of the main figure than you know you'll be undone by man, not of woman born or whatever, and all the like an extra prophecy on top of it. Like it makes sense when yeah. you have a three hour play over a like two hour movie, right? Uh, but I mean, like the Macduff stuff is also about like Macduff as a heroic figure, right? Well, yeah, because it's also tied into like real history in a way that. Um, the act this movie is not mm-hmm. but i i mean more that like there are people to root for in macbeth yeah um, and this this uh this film doesn't really have that like it you could theoretically say that the um you know the the mickey son and everyone goes and join this rebellion but they're not they're never sent to stage it's never about oh, i want to see the people finally uh own macbeth because it's all in it's all uh about his own fuck-ups. It's, like, completely self-generated. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, part of the thing with the play, though, is that, uh, like, Mac- like Macduff and Banquo and, like, that stuff is all, like, precursors to actual Scottish history. Like, the mm-hmm. whole point of that play is it's meant to be a legend that we can pull from for the history we see today of the lives of Scottish kings or whatever. So, and there's none of that in Kurosawa. That's not necessary. No. Yeah, because I, I, I like it, um... I because the the ending is like a little different as well, right? Is that like because I was looking up some things, uh, doesn't have, like it just ends at when the when when he dies and you basically don't get any wrap up, any like yeah. now things are better. Like someone else will probably try to become king again. This be <laughs> people be people be doing this. Yeah, they yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say they give the impression that it's like, sort of a. Uh, you know, ambition leads you to a bad place, but it's nothing new. <laughs> uh, also, like, because it is not through, like, we, we're glorifying the kings of Scotland or whatever. It can just be about the impermanence of situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, the framework of the chanting as, like, a bookend device is very much about, like, this is more like, almost like a spiritual allegory. Uh, yes. as opposed to like you know pulpy history yeah no yeah, definitely kind of is this is something a little different yeah uh, 
um i like the stuff uh when like reading up on how this happened uh being the kurosawa looked at scottish history and was like you know what this reminds me of you know this era of japan <laughs> <laughs> i think that's fascinating um which is good because i feel like i look at this and just knowing a little like not much but a little bit about a lot of history i'm like this is this is universal this is just people be doing this everywhere <laughs> there's very mm. few like uh power structures you couldn't put this exact story into that's have true it, like, yeah replicate their problems and how this stuff uh goes on I think we might just wrap it up early. I feel like we're kind of exhausting ourselves a little here. Yeah. Uh, does it's... anybody have final thoughts? If you um, haven't read Macbeth, you should read it. Yeah, Macbeth's yeah. a good play. I like it Macbeth's a lot. Macbeth's good. Uh, we have questions. If you want to send questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. And uh, they can be about the movie we're covering or any other movies. We'll talk about whatever you want. If you want to send a question about the Matrix, we'll talk about the Matrix. We're not covering <laughs> the Matrix for this podcast. No one but... has ever sent us questions about other movies. And I'm like, come on, please. We'll talk about anything. Someone <laughs> if you, if, some you, if you want to hear me yell about Pixar movies, one, you can listen to VoIP Life. But two, <laughs> you could send an email asking me my thoughts on Pixar movies, and I'll just get mad for five minutes. <laughs> yep. Uh, sure so our will. first question is from Liv. Uh, this was uh, her first introduction to Kurosawa. General question, what Shakespeare ad adaptations do you enjoy beyond this one? <sighs> I don't know. I'm not really, I haven't seen that many like direct adaptations. Um, I've seen most of like the big ones, I feel like. Uh, I really like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. I really yeah. like um, the one from the 60s with the girl from Black Christmas. <laughs> uh, did anybody see... I think I saw this with you, M. The adaptation of Much To Do About Nothing. Wait, was that the right one? With... Much To Do About Nothing, yeah, Joss Whedon. Yeah, yes, it's yeah, the, the best Joss Whedon movie. Oh, right, it's yes. so good. Yeah, it's in black and white. It's set in modern day but the dialogue is all yes. original like not original can you but imagine the... can you fucking imagine if just we and rewrote all the dialogue from much <laughs> <or> nothing <laughs> Um, uh, my recommendations are all like the really obvious ones. I like Ian McKellen's Richard III, which is about like uh, 1930s Britain um, 10 Things I Hate About You is really good. Titus um, Andronicus which is my favorite 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 thing okay um, I can't remember I really who did like, the movie. I really like uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Henry V. I think it's really good. Henry V is just a, a, a play I really like. What if a king would... Who would not <laughs> enjoy kings if kings were just the best people who knew all the right answers and cared about their subjects? <laughs> I love kings. Yeah. <laughs> kings are great on paper. <laughs> Julie Taymor from 2000. That's when that yes, movie came out. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't actually seen that. It's um, really, really pulpy and ridiculous mm -hmm. uh my big like huge gap is all of the like olivier um shakespeare stuff which i have not seen very many of mm -hmm. uh, but i like all the brano stuff i think it's all pretty strong uh like really hammy but you kind of look you're looking for that i feel like if you're looking for shakespeare did anybody did anybody see the uh 
90s Hamlet with Ethan Hawke saying to be or not to be in the blockbuster? No. Bill Murray, isn't it? Whenever I think of 90s Hamlet, I just think of that bit from Last Action Hero. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's definitely a uh, 90s Hamlet with Bill Murray, Ethan Hawke, and a bunch of different people. Is that the Mel Gibson one? Maybe? I don't know. Okay. The Hamlet scene in Last Action Hero, you can just look at that on YouTube. It's very good. It's amazing. What if what if a '90s quippy Schwarzenegger was Hamlet? Honestly, I wish they had made that movie because it would be fantastic. Uh, it li- it lines up way like I hope people watching that as a joke know that it could also just work. It lines up pretty well. <laughs> Um, our friend Autumn wrote in, uh, just saying how much that, uh, they enjoyed the movie and questioned, uh, just talking about how much watching this, it was, uh, su- like snuck up on them, how much fun they were having watching it and what yes. movies you think, uh, are just like, you're, you're surprised how much fun you're having with a thing that might not necessarily be like strictly a comedy or like a joyous thing. Okay. The Hamlet I was thinking of. <laughs> right before we answer this question was not the Mel Gibson. It was Michael Almereda's 2000 Hamlet, sometimes okay. known as Hamlet 2000. Oh. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin's in it. <laughs> I, I wish I wish it was like uh, Dracula 2000, which is a very bad movie about how Dracula isn't actually like Vlad Tepes, but is instead Judas Iscariot, who's still alive and a vampire roaming the earth. <laughs> That's amazing. I was going to say that the 2000 movies, Fantasia 2000, <laughs> Blues Brothers uh, 2000. Hamlet uh, 2000. 2000. Unseen goes at the bottom of the fucking list. <laughs> yeah. Ham- Hamlet 2000 uh, has the ghost showing up on closed circuit TV. Uh, there's a uh, Hamlet is a film student, but none of the it dialogue has been updated. None of the dialogue has been updated. <laughs> anyway, uh, go on. I'm sorry. So, uh, movies that snuck up on you, how fun they are. Like every movie that M made me watch after we started dating. Really? Like just a bunch of movies that I kind of ri- wrote off originally, and then you were like, "I really like this. Let's watch it." And I was like, "Oh, this is surprisingly good." So, like Speed Racer. Um, the Resident the f- Evil series. The Resident oh, Evil series, yeah. the Fast and the Furious movies, like the first few. Um, a lot of those. Uh, the movie I thought of first when this question was asked was Boogie Nights, which is ostensibly like kind of a downer, like epic of like how hard it is to live in the world and the changing face of being photographers in the 70s and 80s. But it's also just the funniest, warmest movie that I grew up watching. So I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, um, <laughs> I was also I was also taken aback by that when watching it. Yeah. Um, I think the one for me. Uh, would be because like there are a lot, we talked about this in the Citizen Kane episode, right? That there's a lot of movies that, by reputation of being important and dramatic, you forget they're just really good and warm and like funny. That's what yes. a lot of movies are. Uh, I think the one for me I would med- say would be um, Touch of Evil because I just remember uh, watching that in um, it's very silly, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just pitched fully by my lecturers as 
a serious movie about important things in American, uh, Mexican, like, you know, the border and all these, like, ideas of what it means to be a person in these, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yes, but Lamau. Um, <laughs> yes. Look, uh, look at it. Yeah. I like a movie that is, uh, like... It doesn't have to be joyous made the wrong word, but just a movie where you can just have a good time regardless of the content of the film itself. Yep. Um, I'm always looking for that. Uh, and then we have a couple questions from Tron. Thank you, Tron, always for writing in. You are the constant. Uh, MVP. It, it makes us happy every single time. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first question Tron had is, what is the first uh, international movie any of us remember watching? Jackson, I assume for you this is an easy question because uh, you grew up on American, or a hard question because you grew up on American movies. So what is I, I, what do they mean by internet? They mean like, I mean they specifically mean not from your country, but I feel like to answer this question, it's probably better for you to say just a movie that's not in English. Yeah, that's what I was going in that way. That's how yes. I was reading this. Um, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> um, I remember I'd have to think about this Destiny, um, do you have clear memories of this as a child mystery science theater did a bunch of um episodes revolving around a lot of the like japanese godzilla type movie monster films so the, that's either that or something kung fu a lot of like asian genre films in my childhood uh yeah the first time i ever remember a movie that was entirely subtitled is renting crouching tiger hidden dragon which uh, i would have been like this would have been 2001 so i was 16 so it took a long time that was um, your first one ever yeah like i've seen you... a couple jackie chan movies but they were all dubbed so yeah i this mean is the first time i'd ever watched a movie with subtitles it was very so it's really surprising to me that it took so long but i remember distinctly putting it in and not understanding what was going on really Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm I really surprised. I was... movies until, like, the early aughts anyway, so, like, oh, okay. I just watched what I grew up with. Like, I wasn't watching tons of movies. I was watching a lot of cartoons, but not even anime, really. Like, yeah. I encountered anime way before, and most, like, almost all of that was dubbed, so. Um, yeah, no. Um, I mean, those movies that I mentioned were dubbed, but, like, we knew that they weren't American, and that that was something unique and interesting. Well, it's um, weird like, I watched Jackie Chan movie. Like, Jackie Chan was basically the only thing that I remember before this that was uh, international. But the thing is, I started with Rumble in the Bronx, which is his first English language movie. It just happens to mostly be dubbed because all of the Asian actors, I think, are just speaking Chinese. It definitely seems like it. And it's just a dub. But it is shot in America for, like, an American audience. So it's very strange. And I just assume that's what all of these were. So oh. I never thought of them as, like, you know, international film. In yeah. Way. No, I get you. I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Dragon in a theater with my mother, who apparently had never sat down to watch a subtitled movie. Cause she turned to me at the very beginning and said, is the whole movie like this? <laughs> well, me and your mom, the same experience. <laughs> yeah, mine's definitely anime. Like, I, it was definitely, um, that was how I, like, started watching subtitled things. Mm -hmm. um, like, it might be Ghost in the Shell. Because okay. I remember watching Ghost in the Shell too young to watch Ghost in the Shell and just not getting any, just completely bounced off me. Okay. I wish I could remember specifically like what was the first one I ever watched ever, but I could not tell you. Um, Tron, can you just ask, what are your thoughts on the Foley in this movie? Um, 
I really like uh, what's her name? Uh, Sanonji? What uh, is that? No, uh, it's like Asagi. Asagi. A. Yeah. Yes, Asagi's like silk whisper. Uh, like running in a very restrictive kimono through the castle. Just my like favorite this, as well. Yes, this extreme sound of fabric that is in the shots where she's doing it. It's like the dead of night, so it's always just entirely dominates the soundscape. Uh, it's as, so like, ominous. Drops off. Yeah, there's one scene in particular where she goes to get the like spiked wine, where she like leaves the scene through a door that's like the camera's framed uh, perpendicular with the door, and she just disappears into the dark, like gliding in and then glides back into scene with holding the spiked wine, which is very good. Yeah, all that stuff rules. <laughs> <laughs> Kurosawa, it rules. <laughs> it does. It does. It really, truly does. Yep. Uh, this wasn't a question, but uh, I do have to mention before we end the podcast uh, that the main guy's walk is so fucking funny. He, like, there's so many sequences of him going back. Because, like, she's got the very, dis- like, distinct, like, run as she goes through and it, it that like lands very well and is like usually like kind of overwhelming and how like um otherworldly it is but mm-hmm. um he i always forget his actual name so i'm just referring to him as him wasiju wasiju not Macbeth. Um, <laughs> has this like really forced like over like way overdoing the arms like, it's like a very, it's like a, yes, it's very much like a strut <laughs> meant to be like stagey and theatrical for sure. It's incredible. Yeah, he just very he just good. he just walks like a chicken onto every scene that he does. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Yes, uh, I like that stuff a lot. Um, and then uh, let's see, um, Jackson, you've seen Macbeth performed on a stage. How do you feel about stage versions of Macbeth? Um, I mean, I saw my dad do it when I was, like, five. <laughs> was your dad Macbeth? No, I think he just directed it. I think oh, cause... okay. So I remember him, like, rewriting it and, like, you know, not rewriting, but, you know, going through going through and making sure, like, this is what my version of Macbeth can be and getting into that stuff. And I don't, I don't remember any of the specifics, but I remember, like, you know, uh, the, what the place was. I remember it being very long. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the final question here, uh, do you find Lady Asagi to be a compelling character? Uh, me editorializing, Lady Macbeth is kind of like the scene-stealing role in actual play Macbeth. Um, she has a lot more to say, not necessarily to do, like the framework is still the same, but she has so much more going on as like a character motivation in the original play. Here, Asagi's definitely more uh, like abstracted out and ethereal and thus has far less to say about herself, even though she s- serves the same purpose in the plot. Uh, I think she's still uh, like scene stealing as a presence, because mm-hmm. um, I think that every time she's in the scene, just staring into space and going, "I think that uh, this logic that I've just made up in my head is why we should do another murder," uh, <laughs> is uh, is amazing. Uh, but yeah, the, the the you are right that this this version drops like um, the interiority that would explain why. Uh, Lady Macbeth would go harder for this stuff than Macbeth would, and all the like relationship between yeah. these two. I also, I also don't like the the like addition of her stillborn pregnancy as a plot point 
in the play, she Lady Macbeth starts sleepwalking after the death of the king and just like mimics washing the blood from her hands while she's sleepwalking. And it's something like the guards all know in the castle and it coming after this like pregnancy and then losing the baby in the movie, I think is like a, I think it removes the directness with which Lady Macbeth is tied into the murder. Like she wants this murder for her own aggrandizement as much as she wants it for Macbeth's, right? Yes, uh, and I don't. I don't necessarily think that comes across as well in the in the movie. It's weird. I like. I think it kind of does, but you're right that the um, the later stuff with the pregnancy kind of uh, hides it because I think in like in the moment when the murder happens and she goes out and lays down the spear in the other guy's hands, you get this mm. sense of it. Um, but the 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 when they finally do the um, uh, the blood washing scene it kind of comes very late and out of nowhere and doesn't have the impact that it does in the original yeah it's um, also i feel like the movie weirdly undersells the implication that she's the one who ordered Macduff's death which is a change from the play where it's mm-hmm. Macbeth who actively does that because he seems genuinely surprised when the head comes in um which to me implies that she's the one who ordered the death uh yeah i literally don't remember the play that well <laughs> you, mean, you mean you mean mickey mickey's death yeah yeah, because he oh, yeah. he's expecting Mickey to show up and actually like ingratiate himself because his whole plan is to do that. And she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that you should just get rid of him. He's like, no, you, you, you know, getting him on our side is going to be very easy. He wants to do this stuff. And then he doesn't show up and the head rolls in. And I like my reaction was that she just went around him and ordered the execution herself. I thought that he I mean, I this could go either way because I don't remember the specifics of the scene. Um, but I thought that he did it because of like that scene climaxes with him saying like I'll stab you again, I'll do it again. Um, but that could have just been him seeing a ghost of the um, the old lord because he's stabbing the air at this point. Well, yeah, uh, he but... sees he sees Miki, but he's you know surprised <laughs> that Miki's there as like a ghost, right? Like he's upset because this ghost sits and mocks him in the middle of his dinner <laughs> when he was expecting Miki to actually be there, right? Um. I I read it as he was he had done this and was going to try to pretend that he hadn't done it and he could not he could not avoid confessing in front of everyone. Hmm. Okay. Um, but you you could be right as well. Yeah. Uh anyway, um yeah, that I I just I think that uh Asagi's like presence is just as impactful. I think the changes to the play around her um I think I dislike most of them, um, mm-hmm. but uh, there's also like in the play, Lady Macbeth kills herself and there is multiple, like there's a whole soliloquy about Macbeth reacting to her death and none of that is in the movie yeah. because she doesn't even die. She's washing her hands and then he has to run out and get shot a bunch. So yep. <laughs> she just doesn't have the, the focus. Yeah. Um, which, you know, take it or leave it, I guess. Uh, like I said, I think she's great in the movie. I just think it'd be more interesting to have it a little, like, cue a little more closer to the original work. Right, that character yeah. Specifically. Um, that's all I've got. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. Uh, of course, podcast at com. Next week, uh, you know, two weeks from now, whatever. Someday I'm just going to get used to saying it. Um, we are going to be watching uh, Elaine May's 1976 film, Mikey and Nikki. Uh, Destiny, where can you find this in the U.S.? Uh, the Criterion Channel. Jackson, where can you find this in the U.K.? Nowhere, so get a VPN and use the Criterion Channel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, apologies to everyone who does not live in North America. I'm pretty sure Chris not accepted. Canada also. <laughs> um, uh, I'm really excited for this. Uh, I people were talking about it because it hit Criterion Channel. Um, because it, it's like a relative obscurity, I guess. But um, I've never seen it, and I like Elaine May, and I would like to see more of her movies. So uh, that is why we're doing that one. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, it's time for plugs. Destiny, where can people find you on Twitter.com? At FridgeBuzz now. Jackson, where can people find you and our good shows? Uh, you can find me at Headfalls Off on Twitter, though I don't know why you would want to. Uh, <laughs> That's not true. Jackson's very popular and their posts are very good. Um, one of those things is true. <laughs> Which one? <That's> <laughs> Who can say? I don't even know some days. <laughs> uh, God. You can find all the other podcasts we do at abnormapping.com. We do a whole bunch, uh, then they're very good. Uh, we do a video game podcast. We're covering Sonic very soon. Sonic is the Hedgehog, uh, Sonic Adventure 2, specifically. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog Adventure 2 Battle. Sonic the Hedgehog Adventure 2 Battle. Um, don't know why I had to clarify the Hedgehog. I'm sick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but we're doing Sonic Adventure 2 this weekend. We can't, Jesus Christ. We're doing Sonic Adventure 2 this month, uh, and it's going to be a good podcast. I'm very, very excited, because um, that, that's what gets our enthusiasm back up. Uh, we also have. Uh, do you want to tell people about the other podcast they can get that is about television shows every roughly once a month, maybe? Uh, yeah, you can go to your uncle's beach house. Um, what it, it do does, we have a URL? Does not have does not have a mini URL. Just go to the main <laughs> yeah. website. It's on the website and just click on your uncle's beach house, and we have a, a show where we watch anime. It is not the Patreon podcast we do. Um, we have spun it out to its main feed. Uh, so that if you don't subscribe to our Patreon, you can still listen to our uh, irregular uh, Beach House episodes where we will generally watch 12 episodes of an anime or a movie or a bit of a, even a manga, you know, from time to time. But it's good. It's a good podcast. I'm very proud of it. Uh, spinning out into more anime stuff has been very good for us. Yeah. Uh, if you want to support <laughs> the network, the shows we do keep us housed and fed and clothed uh that would be very appreciated you'd go to patreon.com slash abnormal mapping and for one dollar you get our most popular podcast which is the great gundam project it's me and jackson every week talking through gundam two episodes at a time we are currently in victory gundam we're also we're also watching macross which is a show that you you might know as robotech if you're listening to this and you're old i don't know no one does everyone who knows about robotech is dead now uh and yet the long night we'll talk about this when we record gundam uh <laughs> mad about this uh <laughs> anyway uh if you go to the website uh abnormalmapping.com you get a link to our discord if you want to come in the discord and talk about movies uh we'd love to talk about movies with anybody um and tell your friends about this podcast tweet it out retweets are greatly appreciated word of mouth is how we get these podcasts out and this one in particular really like to grow the audience because it's new um you can find me, of course, on Twitter at em underscore being. I think that's everything. Uh, so now that uh, book cannot talk, I guess we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, goodbye, everyone. <laughs>